3: Thanks for tuning in. It's Sunday, October the 18th, 2015. I am your host, Will Strayhorn. And in the studio today, we have a very special interview. Um, We have Miss Jane Kennedy. She was a trailblazer, paving the path for other women around the globe. In 1970, she made history when she became the first African-American woman to be crowned Miss Ohio. Uh, In 1978, she was one of the first women to infiltrate the male-dominated world of sports announcing with her role on the NFL today. Um, She was also able to get an interview with Muhammad Ali Ali, when no one else could. In the 80s, she was also the first black woman to have a workout video. I remember that myself. So please help me welcome to the studio Miss Jane Kennedy overton how are you how are you i'm
4: doing good i'm doing good i'm That's um,
3: good.
4: an empty nester so beginning to spread my wings
3: <laughs> are you okay okay well you entered the public eye you know when you were still in high school pretty much um so tell me about your memories that you have of you know growing up and how did you get your first break Ooh,
4: well it depends on what you call a break um You know, I started uh, competing in the Junior Olympics when I was in 6th grade. And um, then I started modeling when I was in 7th grade. And I started working with uh, the May Company Teen Board in 10th grade. And I competed in the Miss USA pageant in my senior year in high school, um, which is also I started doing television commercials like 12th grade. And um, that's when I decided that um, I was going to be going to New York. I was going to go to Kent State University for a year and then go to Columbia University and major in political science. But I got booked on a television show in Cleveland and hooked on the acting bug (laughs) Uh and decided to move west instead.
3: Okay. So did you grow up in Cleveland?
4: Yes, I did. A small city just on the outskirts of Cleveland called... Wycliffe. Um Okay. You drive through it in five minutes. <laughs> hey, you're <out>. hey, you're <laughs> and I had uh, there was yeah, six of us, uh, five girls and one boy. And my dad okay. the boy's the baby. My dad wanted sons and so when he had all these girls we were raised in a world of sports. So football was in our blood. You can't grow up in the Cleveland area, um, back in the sixties and not be a Cleveland Browns football fan with Jim Brown. So Sports
3: was, like, a first love of mine. Was it? Okay. So, like I was saying in your intro earlier, um, you know, you've had an amazing career. You know, you were an award-winning actress, um, broadcaster, TV personality, producer, and then your exercise tapes. Um, So what what are some of your most fondest memories um, of your career?
4: Well, I'd have to say it would be hard to top the thriller in Manila and Muhammad Ali. He is by far the most amazing person that I've ever met. Um, And to actually, you know, I grew up small town, so I remember climbing the fence and scaling the barbed wire to go see the first uh, Joe Frazier fight uh, at Cuyahoga Community College in Cleveland and, um, you know, to think that just... A few years later, I would actually be sitting ringside at the thriller in Manila and be able to call him my friend. You know, it's just mind-blowing. Or when I left Ohio in 1971, um, I landed in Hollywood in July, and by December, I was touring the world, entertaining troops in Vietnam with Bob Hope. So those wow. are definitely two major highlights.
3: And. In the midst of all of that, you decided that you know you wanted to step out of the, the limelight, pretty much. So, number one, why did you do that, you know, after such a successful career in the limelight? What, what, what was your deciding factor in deciding that you wanted to step out of the limelight?
4: Well, there were several things. I had, you know, back in the '70s, it was very difficult for a, a black female to make it in show business. The industry was specifically geared to not allow blacks to succeed. There were only three major networks. Um, They would tell you, you know, publications would come right out and tell you, we don't put on the covers of our magazine. So as a black artist, you were not able to do billboards, magazines, have your picture plastered on buses, do a web show or Internet or, you know, even cable TV, you know, all of that just did not exist. So the mere fact that you could succeed in a world that was not meant for you to succeed was a major coup. So um, for me, I just wanted to work. I loved the work. I loved the process. I loved the fact that I was blessed enough to be able to succeed But there was always something missing because I was always on the road. I was never home. Um, And, you know, because of all of the work that I was able to get, you know, it just got lonely. And I kept thinking, there must be something more. But I had put off having a family for a long, long time. It was always this new gig, that new gig, you know, another show over here. And the industry, the same industry, did not allow pregnant women to work. Um, So... I finally came down, I'd been healthy all my life, and the first time I get a major disease was endometriosis, and it was the um, early 1980s, and I tried all these medical cures and treatments and medicines, and then finally my doctor said, well, there's one surefire thing, it won't cure it, but it's a major treatment with a tremendous success rate, and that's Pregnancy. And I just said, okay, God, I got the message loud and clear. (laughs) It's time for me to have a family. (laughs) Right. But I did not want to have a family and be gone. So that meant I had to choose.
3: And you chose being a mom.
4: I chose being a mom, and I fell in love with it, head over heels in love with it.
3: Excellent. That's excellent. Now, let's back up a little bit. So, since you made history as the first African American female sportscaster with the NFL, you know, have you been invited back for Super Bowl Fifty?
4: Uh, <laughs> um, we're working on it. Let's just say that you're
3: working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
4: wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know what? There's been there's been a, uh, quite a lot of years in between um, when I did the Super Bowl in 1980 and now, and. Um, it would be ridiculous for the NFL to not acknowledge the contribution of female sports broadcasters. Um so even though I was one of the first, you know, it's still a major hurdle for women period to be included and for black women specifically. So, you know, I've always figured, you know, I, I have a battle to fight. And even, you know, just for women in sports, not just as broadcasters, but you know, like my girls, you know, I have four daughters and all of them are sports addicts, and they all grew up playing sports. But I remember very clearly my, um, Savannah, who's 29 now, but when she was in seventh grade, she was booked for basketball practice that day. And I, um, I, I came to pick her up, and she'd been waiting, and she said practice was canceled. And I go, Oh my God, why was practice canceled? She said, Well, it started raining, and they practice in, uh, the outdoors on the outdoor sports. And she said it started raining and, they're, you know, the boys got the gym. The girls have to go home. And I said, oh, no, what? no, 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 no. That will never do. <laughs> the boys <laughs> get to practice and the girls got to go home. No, no, no. So, you know, I quickly just marched into the office. And ever since then, I've became an advocate for youth in sports, uh, particularly girls in sports.
3: I and saw
4: I've, that. I coached um, AYSO. And I've managed um, for seven years uh, a semi-pro club team that um, won all kinds of state and national titles and loved it, loved it. My daughter played as a goalkeeper. And uh, she is now at USC. But when she decided to no, not play soccer, it just broke my heart. So really? I sports. I'm sitting here watching football, you know, and the World Cups and all of that stuff. And I just feel so foreign and so, you know, i distant from it. So I'm looking forward to um, being involved in Super Bowl 50. I remember the first one. So this would be really nice.
3: Well, that's good. What is one of the things looking back over your career? What is that one thing that you wish you know you could have changed or that you could have done different in your career?
0: Ooh, um,
4: one thing that I wish I could have changed. Um, I mean, there's a lot that I would like to have had it be different, right? I would have loved for the industry to not be so hard, you know, when it comes to blacks participating, you know, the fact that you would have uh, one gig in three years. And if you were lucky enough to get a starring role in a feature film as a black actress in the seventies, you probably got paid like $10,000, you know, and the movie itself was made for a million, you know, so just the the situation that blacks had to face in terms of trying to kick-start this business. So, you know, I, I listen to a lot of people today talk about how difficult it is, and I say, oh, my God, you have no idea, <laughs> you know. And so well, then I have to shut my really mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and then I have to shut my mouth and just be happy that we're doing something, you know. So
0: Exactly. It, it,
4: exactly. I, thoroughly enjoy, like watching Viola, watching um, Carrie, you know, and I just say, man, you, you know, how nice would it have been to be able to do something like this? You know, I remember I I did a pilot for NBC called Cover Girls and when, it was a, a ripoff of Charlie's Angels, but when... Um, ABC found out we were doing it. They aired back to back episodes of Charlie's Angels against us. And the it was also the final game of the NBA playoffs. So nobody saw it, you know. And then they would say something like, oh, well, you know, a black starring in a drama, you know, just doesn't work. See, these numbers weren't any good. Well, what'd you expect? You know, the final game of the NBA playoffs, double episodes of a hit series. Really? And then I was um, on the NFL Today. I had uh, Lamont McLemore from the Fifth Mention had done a – he was an amazing photographer, my favorite photographer. And he had done a um, poster with me and, you know, the football. And it was a gorgeous picture. And we submitted it to the company that did Farrah Fawcett's uh, poster. And we thought, you know, well, here I am. I'm on a hit uh, show, the NFL Today, Emmy Award winning. And I was starring in three other major um, specials that same year. So this should work. We went to the company and they said, well, blacks don't buy posters, so we are not going to do this deal. I said, what do you mean blacks don't buy posters? And they said, well, we tried one before and it didn't sell. And I said, who who did you use before? And they said, well, we did one with Gary Coleman. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot that I wish was different.
3: (laughs) Wow. Okay. So it, I, I believe in 2015, earlier this year, you launched It's a Mother-Daughter Thing. Tell tell the listeners yes. about this, this, this um, program that you began.
4: I'm probably the biggest fan of my daughters. Um, and I know, you know I'm, I'm not a stage mom, so we'll clear the air on that. Okay. I do believe, you know, I just, you know, enlighten my kids. I believe in education. I wish that I had gone to college, I never did. So, you know, I, I my daughters were told early on, you know, college is in your future. Um and I want you to make the most of what you do. But, you know, and I support them a hundred percent. Um, I'm completely behind them in everything that they do. And my daughter Savannah is um an amazing um educator and she got her uh, she got two BAs at Pepperdine and one in intercultural communication, one in sociology. And then she worked in the industry uh, for Fox on American Idol, and So You Think You Can Dance, and um, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader. She was a coordinator for all of the production companies coming through uh, Fox Broadcasting. She did that for three years, and she said, well, this isn't my calling. She's a um, a very compassionate advocate for um, disenfranchised people, and she just believes in righting the wrongs in the world and always working as a, a, a soldier against injustice and so she decided she wanted to go back to school and get her masters she did at Syracuse uh, Communication School and she, her masters is in Media Studies and then she became a professor of um, race, class and gender and school violence and she has she's the most expressive, compassionate person that I know and I felt, you know I've been writing my autobiography. I've been working on producing um, a a television series. Um, it goes on a whole different avenue, but you know, I've been working on having product available for when I relaunch my career. And my my whole agenda was to do that as soon as my youngest daughter was out of college, and she'll be a senior next year. So I'm on track. Um, but you know, I said. If I'm really going to do this right, what I need to do is make a platform for my daughters to be the best that they can be. And she has a, a tremendous voice that I believe um, her generation needs. And so I, I know that for me, family is first. And there are so many things that are relevant in this country today that we need to fix. Um, And I think one of them is we need to strengthen the family unit. So I launched this uh, package called It's a Mother-Daughter Thing um, as a way of working with my daughters to address the impact of the media on families, the impact of the media on crime and violence in our country, um, what do we do in terms of our education system, how do we get um, black youth more involved in traveling and study abroad so that they can have an accurate picture of African Americans in this country, not just, you know, what our media tells us is our own image, you know, um, but what the, how the world looks. And then also, you know, we have to, this world grows faster and faster, smaller and smaller, and so, you know, they need to know that. And for African-American children, we need to be able to be globally aware. So um, that's just one of my campaigns in terms of um, having my children, my youth, you know, be able to voice who they are and their compassion for the world. And so that's what we're doing.
3: And you're also involved with the Resurrecting Lives Foundation, Correct. Yes. You consider yes, that really a, am, a full circle event for you. Tell us a little bit about that. It
4: is. It is. Um Resurrecting Lives Foundation uh works as an advocate for um veterans returning from Iraq and Afghanistan with PTSD and T B. I post traumatic stress disorders and traumatic brain injuries. Um it's a, shame, it's a shame the status of um so many of our veterans homeless uh on drugs. Um, even suicides, you know, are just skyrocketing. The numbers are astronomical. So, you know, something needs to be done. For me, growing up in the 60s, I always said, God, I hope my baby brother never has to go fight in Vietnam. You know, the draft was there. People were burning draft cards.
0: Right.
4: I never wanted my brother to go to Vietnam. And then I found myself in Vietnam, you know, in, in 71. But as an entertainer, and it just, Hit me, you know. Um, of course, I never knew, you know, firsthand what the experience was, and you know, here I am on the outside looking in. But you know, it just it became something that was very dear to my heart to try to do something. So I've been working with the U.S.O. on, on many occasions since then, and when Resurrecting Lives Foundation came across my path, and I said, Well, this is something that I can really um, get involved in. So I'm uh, on their board of advisors and Wonderful. we work to do research and be able to get funding from the Department of Defense to initiate programs to help these veterans suffering from PTSD and TBI.
3: Wonderful. So how can people get in contact with you to keep track of everything that you're doing to follow you with it's a mother daughter thing and the resurrecting um Lives Foundation? Do you have any online presence or a website or contact information that our listeners at home can keep up with you?
4: Well, you know, I this is a huge step for me <laughs> and mm-hmm. you got me in the beginning of that, you know, taking that first giant step, you know. Oh, good. And um, I'm just relaunched I'm launching a Facebook page tomorrow. Okay. Um, and you'll be able to find me, Jane Kennedy Overton, on Facebook tomorrow. Um, give me 24 hours tomorrow night. <laughs> um, and you can find us at org, or you can find me at www... Um, well, let me give you a different address. Jane, K-O, J-A-Y-N-E-K-O, dot Wix, u i x dot com, slash... Jane-and-Savannah, hyphen and hyphen Savannah. and that will take you to It's a Mother-Daughter thing. And I'm working on fixing that, too, so, you know, you'll be able to. But, you know, like I, I said, understand. you're I understand. my first. We're just
3: so happy to see you back. And I want to yeah. thank, well, thank, you you thank you on behalf so of the show for coming on to the show. Once again, I apologize for the technical difficulties, but we're so glad that problem. you stuck around. Yes. Thank you again for coming Not on the a show. Not We you're hope to hear from to you somebody again. somebody
4: that has seen I would look forward to that. Yes,
3: yes, yes. You have a you have a good evening. God bless you. God bless you you too. Good night.
2: Bye. -bye. Thank you, Will. That was a wonderful interview, and it's great to hear all those wonderful things that she's involved in at this point.
3: Exactly. Yeah. You know,
2: I now want to move on to a topic that we've talked about often um, in the media, but there's rare solutions that are provided. Um, Of course, with mental illness, the National Alliance on Mental Illness uh, states that approximately one in five adults in the U.S. experience mental illness in a given year, and then only 41% of those adults actually receive mental health services in the past year. Um, Half of all chronic mental illnesses begin at age 14, three-quarters by the age of 24. And despite effective treatment, there are long delays, sometimes decades, between the first appearance of symptoms and then when people actually get help. And our next guest, author and life coach Chris Cole, is all too familiar with this uh, subject. Um, And I think it's best if you listen to the Amazon depiction of his book. Um, It says that struggling with lifelong disorder, eating, and adolescent addiction, Chris Cole had his first psychotic episode at the age of 18, Suddenly believing he was the second coming of Christ. He lost his identity and tried to perform miracles and was ultimately arrested in the lobby of his college dormitory, all while convinced he was being taken to crucifixion. So I want you to help me welcome as we shed light on this topic to, let's face it, author and life coach Chris Cole. And Chris, how are you this evening?
5: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Alicia.
2: We're just we're just happy to have you here. Um, you know, there there's so many things that are flashed in the media every week that are going on, and you know, we we mentioned what you experienced at the age of 18. One would ask, "How did you get there?"
5: Well, you mentioned the media, and I'll tell you that when I was growing up, the only thing I ever heard about, as far as mental illness was concerned, had to do with a horror movie or something terrible happening in the news.
0: Right. And
5: I had no idea any I had no idea about mental illness. I had no idea that it could happen to me. And when it did happen, I had so many questions. It was almost impossible for me to figure out what was going on. And um the when I when I went psychotic, that was at 18 years old. But what I can say is that throughout my adolescence there was definitely a lot of signs that I was having a hard time, specifically substance abuse and body image concerns and a lot of insecurity. And I thought this was kind of behavior I would grow out of. My parents thought it was mm-hmm. behavior I would grow out of. And frankly, I just didn't. It just kept getting worse until, you know, I end up being arrested in my college dormitory as a freshman um, thinking I'm Jesus. Right,
2: and you know how would parents differentiate between this normal childhood issue? You said yourself, you thought you grow out of it. To to someone that has a problem, and we need to go get them some help.
5: Well, I think most importantly, it's about recognizing the signs early, but it's also about understanding the progression,
1: because okay. it's one
5: thing for it's one thing for a child to get caught drinking alcohol or something like that with a few friends. And it's an entirely another thing for a child to have to be hospitalized for alcohol poisoning or be caught multiple times or get infractions at school. I mean, there's a a gradient as far as warning signs go.
2: Gotcha. So definitely things we need to look out for.
5: Yeah, and Um, I think... when it comes to the things to look out for, it's really, a lot of it's common sense, but what I would just caution parents about is if your child is struggling, don't just assume that they're going to grow out of it. Really investigate it, because the maladaptive behaviors, I mean, they're indicative of something difficult going on inside the individual. Maybe they're insecure about something. Maybe they're um, struggling with uh, their body or sexuality or um, making friends or anxiety. I mean, there's there's just an endless list of things they could be struggling with. But if they don't have anybody to talk to about it, then nobody will ever know, and they'll just keep having more and more destructive behaviors.
6: Yeah. Hey, Chris. This is uh, Danielle, and um, I have a, a daughter who, who suffers with mental illness as well. And I know firsthand how it, it can be challenging to determine if it's just normal teenage behavior or if it's actually something more severe. So I think you gave some great points about um, paying attention to those signs and determining the severity of, of behavior. So that's a great, um, great advice to, to give. I also had a question for you. What advice uh, would you give to family members who are struggling with a loved one who has mental illness um, what kind of support would you provide them?
5: It's hard to say because every individual is so different. And I think once we have more and more people come out with mental illness and recovery, there's going to be a lot more hope and there's going to be a lot more education to the public to realize how diverse these issues are. That it's really hard to say just for one per- for one person to kind of say, um everybody should have to deal with the same thing or everybody should have the same advice but what i can do is say that the line of communication needs to be open and it needs to be all the way open and it needs to be open from a young age uh-huh. because what that does is it just trains people to be able to talk about what's going on inside their head and if we have uh if we have a family system or we have a community where there's not a lot of space to talk about how we're feeling and there's not a lot of space to talk about having a difficult time, then those become secretive and the individual can get more and more isolated and feel more and more alone. And when really these are issues that everyone struggles with, it just depends on the severity of it. Yeah, I agree. Awesome.
3: Hi, Chris, this is Will. How are you doing?
5: I'm doing great, Will. Thanks for having me.
3: No problem. Thank you for coming on. I wanted to know, so with all the recent school shootings and the extreme acts of violence that are are in the news nowadays, when you hear these stories and people blame mental illness, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings on that?
5: Oh, my gosh. What a hot topic right now. It is devastating to hear what's going on and how prevalent it is and how often it's happening, The um, when I see it, I immediately think that the individual is obviously very disturbed. And when it comes to mental illness, it's hard to say whether or not the person is mentally ill. The way I like to think about it is if somebody is so disturbed to the point that they want to go on a shooting spree, to me, it's apparent that they're mentally ill. Mm. But what the public needs to understand is that though that type of violence is probably mental illness, that doesn't mean mental illness is probably violent. And that's a really important point for people to understand because the vast majority of mentally ill people or people living with mental illness, right. they're not violent. And they're much, much more likely to be victims of violence than
7: perpetrators, Hmm,
2: okay. Good point. So, so I have a question.
0: question. This is Nate, Nate,
7: by the way. Um hey, welcome to the show. So my question is
5: Did I, lose you? I would
7: like to know how you feel about mandate and mental health assessments as part of your annual review especially for professionals such as pilots doctors or teachers or anyone who plays a large role in the health and welfare of women. well that's a good question and
5: i can i can see people being concerned about having their well-being in the case in the hands of somebody that's unstable um And so what I would like to see more than just uh, specifically targeting certain professions for mental health screening, I would like across the board for there to be mental health checkups, just like there's regular physical health checkups. Mm -hmm. I don't see any reason we can't check on the mental state of people as part of their health care package and part of how they take care of themselves.
7: So how would you? How do we need to ensure that people get that help they need without the fear of losing their jobs or career of advancement opportunities?
5: Well, it would be discrimination for somebody to lose their job based on mental illness. So that's that's really important for people to understand. It's not to say that it doesn't happen, but it is legal. and. Um, I think that a lot of this has to do with sort of the uh, overwhelming stigma in our society against mental illness. P- it's people don't realize how prevalent it is, and I appreciated Alicia talking about how one in five uh, Americans will struggle with mental illness this year, and um, that's a big number. And exactly. when people have, when people struggle with mental illness, or they have a family member with mental illness, or they haven't, or they um, find out an employee has mental illness. There's a real shock, and there's this there's this kind of fear around it. There's a embarrassment, a shame, and what that does is that prevents us from moving forward and having plans of action where it's just more normalized for every person, as opposed to only having mental health care for people that are sick or in crisis.
0: Hmm.
2: Good point,
5: and I love how you said that.
2: It could possibly be something like we do, um, well, I spoke with you previously, we do incentives for healthy, healthy initiatives. You know, if you have lowered your blood pressure or if you joined the work walking club, you know, sometimes if you get a physical, we'll give you a gift or we'll give you some type of reward. Possibly it could be part of your annual check-in, your annual check-up. They could incorporate something for mental illness. Absolutely. So, you know, that would definitely help some, but you've written this book entitled "The Body of Chris." Excuse me, I'm coughing as we're speaking. <laughs> Who should read this book, and why?
5: Well, yeah, I'm inclined to say everyone should read the book because there's it's too too many people are confused about mental illness and don't understand yeah. it and don't realize how much humanity is involved in someone struggling to accept mental illness and get treatment and enter a life of recovery. Um, my, when I wrote the book, I, I actually thought about myself way before I had mental illness or was diagnosed, I should say. And what did I need to hear? What did I not know that I could tell somebody in that place right now? And so when I think about a very specific, um, target audience for the book. It's really the person that is n- newly diagnosed with bipolar disorder or addiction, something like a dual diagnosis where there's a mood disorder and a substance abuse issue at the same time. And also, um, uh, men that are men and young men specifically that are struggling with body image issues, mm-hmm. um, as it pertains to being attractive, being worthy of love, um, feeling like you're okay, these are important issues. And I also think it's important for the families that are involved with loved ones that have these issues as well. My book has a lot of self-reflection and inner dialogue specifically for family members to understand what's going on in the mind of someone coming to accept this stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's so important so important. I wanted to just ask you one question, too. You were talking about the male body um, image issue, and of of course, you know, I, I'm not saying this just because I'm a female. Um, it's pretty much except the fact that men are a little bit more hard-headed when it comes to getting care and things from the doctor. Um, <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about how men as well that are suffering from mental health issues or body image issues, some of the things to look out for that they really need to seek help for.
5: Right. So this is such a huge issue right now, and we're living in a society where where women have been asked to have more and more masculine traits in the workplace, in the homes, mm-hmm. and men uh, are needing to have – embody some more feminine traits as well and to be more balanced in their approach to health, to relationships, to family. I mean, these are, these are important. And and I really go into a lot of gender issues in my book and a lot of it was because I felt like my, my masculinity was under attack when I was diagnosed with mental illness and was asked to go to therapy, explore my emotions, um, admit some vulnerabilities and insecurities. I mean, these are things that I, I almost would would have rather died than talk about. And mm-hmm. I certainly was trying to find ways to kill myself as far as the way I was abusing drugs and alcohol. And it's it's incredible the amount of um, insecurity some men have in young men and boys about admitting that we're having a hard time or admitting that we're struggling in any way. And this is right. huge. This is a huge huge issue. And so what I would hope to tell uh the male audience is that if you're struggling, you know, get vulnerable and that that place of vulnerability is actually a place of great strength once we face it. It it's it's really a weak man that won't admit its vulnerabilities and is going down the tube and not saying anything about it. That's weakness. Yeah. You know, we really have to reframe our mindset around what it means to be a strong man. So
6: All right. You gave some very um, thought-provoking um, things to think about in reference to uh, this is a struggle of, of getting help and getting support. And I, from the discussion, I see that you're at a space where um, you're managing, do you ever uh, have any concern or fear that you may get back to that headspace where you felt suicidal or you thought you you didn't have a grasp of things? Do, do you have any fear or concern of going back?
5: Well, I think that there's there's not so much a concern now that I'm going to go back to exactly the way I was before because I do feel in some ways transformed by the amount of therapeutic work and mm-hmm. spiritual surrender and support system that I've built up around myself. But I will say that there's there's absolutely a necessity for humility when it comes to recovery, whether yeah. it's um, for any mental health issue or addiction issue. I mean, humility to keep growing and to keep evolving and to keep challenging yourself because there's always going to be an invitation to slide into a little more of a of an unhealthy place than you are at any given moment. I mean, mm-hmm. it life is a very fluid situation and for me to yeah. say, Oh, I've arrived and I can never be unhealthy again I think that would be hubris. That would be uh that would be a scary amount of pride for anyone.
6: I agree. Other than humility and, and, and seeking, like, the therapeutic support, do you offer any other advice to someone who's listening uh, who might be struggling and, and need to get some
0: assistance?
5: I think the most important thing somebody can do is, is really get real and talk to somebody else about what they're going through. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
5: in order to get help, we have to be willing to ask for help, and that's kind of a little cliche, but it's the truth. Um, For somebody that is having a difficult time out there, talk to a family member, talk to a loved one, um, talk to a counselor. There's counseling services everywhere. Um, Call Suicide Prevention Hotline. I mean, there, there are people to talk to, and it's about reaching out for help, and there is help available. It's a matter of asking for it, and that's what I would like to most, Uh, most importantly, say to the audience if anybody's having a hard time. Well, Chris,
7: we certainly thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your testimony as well as resources for people to, you know, be able to get that help that they need because we see that in this time, I mean, this is getting serious. And it's good that we have people like you giving out just awesome information as well as just a testament to to be a testament of you know how you can go through it and then come out on the other end so we really appreciate you for coming on the show but please tell us how tell us and our listeners how we can follow you and keep in contact
5: well i can't thank you enough for the opportunity and it shows like this that are going to raise the consciousness of our society and understand what's going on and how we can help um, alleviate the suffering of people. So thank you so much. If somebody wants to follow me, the best the best link I can give is thebodyofchris.com. dot com. It's just like the title of my book, thebodyofchris.com. dot com. It's got a link to the book. It's got a link to my life coaching. It's got the social media where I like to do the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook and all that. So
7: okay. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show tonight. And we're going to definitely keep in contact with you and probably have you on other shows because we really want to get the awareness out um, and bring the stigma off of it, you know, so that people can go and get the help. And as Alicia was saying, especially for men, you know, so we can go and get the help that we need. So thank you again, Chris.
5: That's a beautiful thing. Thanks so much for having me.
7: You're welcome. Have a great evening. You too.
2: Bye bye.
7: Bye bye. Well we're gonna take a quick quick commercial break after this and we'll be back with Tony Henderson. Um
8: Families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live.
3: Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world.
6: When we come here they told me don't worry everything can be taken care of. We can never repay Saint Jude for what they've given us.
7: Because of you.
6: Gracias a ti. Because, because of, of you. you
7: there is Saint Jude.
1: Our military service members volunteer to protect us in the most dangerous places around the world. They step up. And when they are severely ill or injured, returning to their families is only the beginning of their long road home. Beyond all the hospitals and doctors and surgeries they need just to survive, they also deserve whatever they need to truly live. All the in-home care and day-to-day help they need to live independently, on their own terms. Wounded Warrior Project long-term support programs were established to provide these brave men and women whatever they need to continue their fight for independence, at no cost for life. So many of them need us, and it's time for a grateful nation to step up. Find out how you can do your part.
6: Welcome back to Let's Face It. I'm your co-host, Danielle Booz. Tony Henderson Mayers is the author of Wise Courtship. She brings over 25 years of experience in the area of building business and personal relationships. Her message encourages us all to live a life we're passionate about. Wise Courtship is dedicated to assisting all who are courting God's way please help me to welcome to Let's Face It Ms. Tony Henderson Mayers. Hello, Tony.
8: Yes, hello. How are you?
6: I am wonderful. I'm wonderful. I'm glad to have you here
8: and sharing Thank your you message. So Thank so you. I'm so honored I'm gonna... to be
6: here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to get right to it because I have a great okay. question to ask you, Ms. Mayers. Uh Many churches teach women that we shouldn't go out seeking a man, that the man should come to us. What are your thoughts on this concept of
4: courtship?
8: Well, yes, I do agree with that too in, in basic and general terms um, because we know in Scripture it says a man who findeth a wife findeth a good thing, yes. uh, which means it gives us the indication that he is the one who is seeking and he is the one who is uh, looking um, you know, for the wife. General sense, I definitely do agree. However, in 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 a more, uh, I guess when we break it down to the lowest common denominator, we want to make sure that we're not just hiding in the house. You know, he's going to find me in the house. You no, know, you need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> you need to meet people. <laughs> you know, you need to be doing something because even when we saw in the Bible when Boaz met Ruth. She was busy doing some things, you know, and he yes. had heard of her reputation and how she took care of her mother-in-law and the struggles that she had been through, and she was out there gleaning in the field. She was working. So we, you know, we have to uh, to take the whole concept and understand the whole picture um, so that we will get the, the results that we're looking for.
6: Yes, yes. Can you All please? right. Way what Christian courtship is to the listeners to make who may not be aware of what that is?
8: Christian courtship? Well, uh-huh. you know, courtship is um a step above dating. You know,
0: sometimes okay. when we
8: date, you know, we may just go out with the person, especially when we're younger, we just go out to have a good time and, you know, it's really no um uh it's no beginning, middle and end to it. It's just I hang out, we'll just see what happens. But as we mature and grow and we know that we want to have a substantial relationship with someone, we um, uh-huh. um, and that's where courtship comes into play because the mindset is totally different because you are looking at a person and taking a person out with the possibility of having a long-term relationship. So you are looking with different eyes than you are when you're
7: dating. Uh-huh. So, Miss Myers, this is Nathan Whitfield. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. Now, in reference to dating, so many single females feel lost in the sea of technique and disappointments. What are the what are they what are the things that they're doing most wrong when yeah. looking for a husband or just someone to date? I think some of the
8: main things that they're doing wrong is that they're doing a lot of the looking. Um, you know, we discussed that a little bit when we first got started. I think that women are putting far too much emphasis on looking. I mean, we have our list together. We, I had some <laughs> girlfriends who had their dresses already picked out. You know, we, we put a whole lot of emphasis on finding someone that we're going to marry, and that seems to consume our entire lives, I mean, from the time that we're children, you know, we, we watch the fairy tales, you know, our prince one day will come. We put a lot of emphasis on that and not much emphasis on becoming a full and totally productive woman and trying to be optimum at um, majority of levels that are in our lives, such as financial spiritual, emotional, physical, you know, just really trying to be the best person we can be. And most of us know that once we become the best person we can be, you know, that's the best advertisement, (laughs) you know, uh, most of the time you cannot get a guy to get away from you because we people smell success. And when we feel successful and happy with us, we attract more successful and happy people to us.
7: Oh, man. So I heard a, a a lady once say to women that the Bible said, he that findeth a wife. And if you want to find a husband, the best way to find a husband is to go hide. you believe with that? To go hide? H-I-D-E? <laughs> yes. <Yeah.
0: laughs> <laughs> oh, I
8: don't think the only thing you go hide is other things that hide. You know, you, you have to be visible, you know, it's just like anything else. I mean, it could happen. You know, there's always a small, remote chance, you know, just like playing the lottery. You know, there's a small, remote chance you may win. (laughs) But, you know, hiding is probably the worst thing you could possibly do. You want to just get out there. You want to live your life. You want to seek your purpose and run after your dreams. And when you do that, you become a person. You're on the radar now we can
7: talk exactly. about oh, who is this person?
2: You know, you have to get out there so that you can be found.
7: Okay.
2: I I love everything you're saying so far. I love it. This is Alicia Brown. You. Hi, hi how are you?
8: I'm great, you?
2: I'm great. I have yes. got to ask you about this three-step system um, yes, um, that you talk about in your book. It talks about how to find out the true character of your love interest. What are the three steps, and how do they work? Before I go
8: into the three steps, let me just really be honest with people and tell them that, you know, when you hear these three steps, you're going to say, I knew that, because we work <laughs> and we live and we move in rhythm. There's a rhythm right. to everything. There are rules that are unspoken as well as rules that are spoken, and some things you just cannot get around if you want to have an optimum relationship with with someone. And so that's how the three steps came about because there are things that we do, but if we skip those steps, we find ourselves getting in a lot of trouble. And Uh -uh. the first step, you know, the very first step is is simple. It is to get to know the person, or in the book I say interview. You know, I use that word, it sounds sterile, but when you really think about it, we interview a lot of things we interview the car before we, we purchase the car. You know, uh, so That's many cool. of us are so, and we're very intelligent now. Car dealers will tell you that, that we research our cars before we, we buy them. We know exactly, you know, what they can do and right. what we should be paying for them. And, and we, you know, we um come out and look at the car. We spend more time getting a car than we do in relationships. And huh. relationships... Will change our lives for the better or for the worse,
0: and so you have to
8: be getting to know the person as much as possible. Get to know the person. So you may ask questions about their family, and you may ask questions about where they work, and and some of, and some of the things that we ask does not necessarily have to be a prying question initially. You know, just those conversational things. You know, we we tend to ask, you know, where do you work and do you like your job and how long have you been there? But Uh listen to what is being said. And then you go further and you have more conversation to get to know the person.
2: Oh. Now, where are the other two steps? (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
8: All right. Once you've gotten to know the person, it, you know, you, you this is an ongoing thing. It does not happen just in one night. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, there's a series of just getting to know a person. Because on our first date sometimes, you know, we, we bring the best person, our representative oh, yeah. to the date, you know. And um, as we start to get to know the person further, we can learn more deeper and deeper about the person.
0: But then mm-hmm. that leads
8: us into step two. Step two kind of goes along with step one at some point. Two requires that we observe the person. Now, I don't mean this in a stalking way. I don't mean get in your car, you know,
0: and drive down
8: the street, you know, when it's late at night, you know, you're looking through the window. I'm not talking about stalking. But I'm talking about observing the person in their natural setting. So when you go out on a date, uh, and this is why dating and getting out is important you know you may may you know you may go to a carnival together, but then the next you know date you're you know at the movies or you're at the theater, you take them out in front of your friends um your family members where it's appropriate you know mhm uh-huh. um, but you get out and you do things and you observe what they are doing, you don't uh-huh. have to you know just stare them down but pay attention to what's going on because I'm willing to bet that our family members and our friends are paying attention.
0: Uh-huh.
8: And, you know, our friends will tell them, oh, girl, he was in the corner all night. He didn't even speak to you. He was talking You know, so we want to pay attention to those things. You know, if they told us in the interview phase or when we were getting to know one another that, hey, I'm shy, and then you guys go out somewhere, and they're the life of the party, Mm -hmm. you see that there's a discrepancy there.
0: Um. So you really
8: and really pay attention to what did they tell me
2: and what do I see. And step number three. I'm writing all of these (laughs) down. And so then as you start moving
8: on into step number three, That is what I call the investigation or the research phase. Now you say, wait a minute, investigation, that's going real deep. But it doesn't (laughs) have to be an inspect-the-gadget moment, okay? Okay. And it can be. It just depends on how the relationship is progressing. But what you're trying to find out in the research or the investigation phase is, what did I hear and what did I see? And especially if those are conflicts, in this third phase, I get clarification. So, for instance, if the person says, I'm shy, and then you you guys go somewhere together and you find out they're the life of the party, and in your mind you're saying, wait a minute, this doesn't match up. But in the third phase, you find out that he was in a room or she was in a room full of family members. Oh. That gives more light to the situation. Explains why they were the life of the party. However, Mm -hmm. if they were not family members and they were strangers, then you have an idea that the person lied. Now, I gave a kind of a silly, you know, uh, scenario, but it Mm -hmm. works for just about anything. So you want to find out if what I saw and what I heard is really what it is. Because you could walk Mm. in the room with someone that you're interested with and they are having a complete meltdown, a complete tantrum, And you're like, wait a minute. But if you find out that their mom just passed, it makes sense. But if you find out it's because they didn't get the color shoes they want, they may be telling you something different. Mm. Mm. So all of those stages working together will help you to really find out the true intent and the true character of that person.
0: Mm. Hmm.
8: You have to give yourself time to work through the steps.
6: Those are awesome okay. steps. I needed yeah. those
8: before I had my first
6: child, and probably after the second one, too. Um, <laughs> but, but that's neither to nor there. Uh, my question <laughs> for you is, it's a personal question, actually. You know, when you first meet them, they smell good. They say all the right yeah. things. You have the butterflies. Right. you like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, mm-hmm. this is what I've been waiting my whole life for. Wow. How
1: do you turn that
6: off? So you can focus on fact-checking and and, and getting the information you need before you find out they're married and they got kids and all that other stuff. Yeah.
8: Yeah, I I just love that question because, you know, I'm telling people to be somewhat analytical about something that is so abstract and so highly emotional as love.
0: Mm -hmm. Because we know once
8: the emotional feelings come, It's going to be hard to do the rest of this stuff. So that's why you want to do this early on, before the feelings come rushing in and before you're not able to really, you know, find out information. And so, you know, the first date is not for getting a free meal, although that can be nice. It's not for I'm going to get some sex and have a good time and go home. It is really to find out information about this person because you are really worth having someone to have a substantial relationship with. And in the time that we're living in, you literally could be sitting with a hatchet murderer if you have Mm -hmm. no foundational base or information about the person. So from the very first date, you want to ask as many questions as you possibly can, and you want to really listen. You don't want the cologne or the perfume to sway you. You don't want the good looks and the brown eyes just where you you really are getting to get the you're there to get as much information as you possibly can while enjoying yourself. Gotcha. And it can be done.
0: And so you know, Ms. Tony, Myer, I do
2: have Oh, I'm sorry. Go I, I do have, have No, you good. I have one question <laughs> for you, Tony. Yeah. You know, it depends on what dating expert and relationship expert you ask. But I want to ask you, especially from the I guess Christian courtship perspective, is there ever a time that it is okay to have sex on the first date? No.
8: All right. Never, and I ever, want ever, you
2: to say ever. why.
8: <laughs> and I would say never, ever, ever. One, as Christians, we 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 definitely know better than that. But if you if you look at the practical sense of it, you have totally washed out your ability to get information about the person. Because what happens is when you go that highly emotional and that highly physical, you are not thinking rational enough to find out information. You have to really clear your head to get information from the person. So you've already had something, you know, and you've gotten involved emotionally. And what it does is it it paints your future information. Because oh, all of your friends and your family member can say, but, but, and they have evidence, it's fact, but you have already tainted it by getting that physical and emotional with the person. So you really want to be careful about that.
2: Love it.
7: So that explains why most of my information has been bad. <laughs> because I was getting oh, it wrong.
0: Yes, sir. it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Tony, once we went
7: through the three steps and we figured out, you know, we've gotten the right information, how do we know if we found the one? Or if they're just playing games to show their stuff approved? Mm. Well, I want
8: to give you definitely the Christian side because we've been talking about that. What this book really does for the Christian, and then I'll go to someone who may not be Christian, all right? But what this really does with the person that the Christian is it helps you to slow down enough to hear God's voice. Because mm. I am a firm believer that when you hear God's voice, you'll get the right one. He will exactly. definitely tell you if you listen. All right. Um, now, there are some people who have gotten married and have successful marriage and have not heard God's voice. You was lucky, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I'm glad for you <laughs> that it worked out. But you really want to slow down enough to hear his voice. For those who disregard God altogether, what have you, it is very, very important, these steps. And and, and you finally figure out you have the one when facts and figures, facts and emotions come, come together. Because you can get as much information about this person and get to know them well, but let's face it, you're not feeling anything. You're not, you know, it's just not clicking. You know it's not you know, they may be more of a pal than they will someone that you really want to, um, you know, get married to, have mm-hmm. children with. It's just a different feeling altogether. Um, but I believe as Christians, we'll know that because he'll let us know. You just know. Exactly.
2: All right, then. Awesome. Whew, such great information. And we definitely want to ask, how can our listeners keep in touch with you and follow you? Well, you can definitely go to my website, um, which is
8: www.wisecourtship.com, and um, you can join the newsletter there, and you can get all the information with me being on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even now Periscope,
2: um, okay,
8: iTunes, all of those under Wise Courtship. You can
2: find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you know, it's always something when you're dealing with love and relationships, it's always going to be a need for information. And when you talk about Christian courtship and all the horror stories we hear of dating and romance, mm-hmm. definitely information that we need. Um, so well, thank, thank you, you so much. much.
8: Thank you so much for having me. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day, evening, weekend, whatever anybody's listening to this broadcast.
2: Yes, Thanks you too. Them. Wow. I just, you know, I was trying to listen, but then I was trying to make notes too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're going to be okay. But, you know, at let's face it, we like to be fair. So we're, we we've had the wonderful Tony Henderson Myers. We've had the wonderful advice on Christian courtship. Now we want to hear from the self-proclaimed bad boy. Of the dating world, and hear what he has to say. So, without further introduction, I think we should hear what he has to say. Welcome back to Let's Face It. I'm your host Alicia Brown. Our next guest, the self-proclaimed bad boy of the dating game, Mr. Lucario, has been featured on VH1, Fuse, TLC, even the Tyre Bank Show and Anderson Cooper. What separates him from other relationships gurus is his no-nonsense, realistic approach to the dating game and the game of life. The idea is to give men and women the knowledge, truth, and confidence to understand what they want so they can create the best options for themselves in love and life. And with the holiday season quickly approaching, we look forward to his dating and relationship advice. So please welcome to the studios, Mr. Lucario.
9: Hey, what's going on? How's everybody doing?
2: Wonderful. Good.
9: How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How's it I'm going?
0: Good.
2: Well, I want to just jump right in there. Um, when it comes to dating, what are we doing wrong? And why are we not finding the type of love and relationships that we want?
9: Well, I mean, you know, what I noticed over the years is that a lot of people kind of, um, you know, just get with people because they're lonely or because you know, they want to, they want somebody for the moment. But also, too, is that, you know, a lot of people aren't honest with themselves. And by not being honest with yourselves, you're not really going to attract the type of people you really want. So a lot of times people are trying to put up a front. They're trying to, you know, um, impress certain people, but they're not really being themselves because a lot of people are scared that if they're going to be themselves, that certain people won't accept them. So they'll kind of like tiptoe and kind of fake the funk just to, like, have people around them. But the thing is is that, you know, those type of relationships won't work if you're not really truly being yourself. So what, the thing is, is that most people, what most people are doing wrong is not being honest with themselves and honest also with the people that they're dealing with. Because when you're really honestly, truly being yourself, that's how you're going to attract those people who actually like you for you. You know what I mean? So many people are trying to find this perfect person or trying to not you know, get rejected and all these other mm-hmm. different things. But it's like, look, you know, you got to first look within and say, okay, what do I want? What do I, you know, want to um, be around? What do I want to deal with? What's going to make me happy? And then be honest about that, and then you actually find those type of people who want the same things. You know, it's really, that's really how it is.
2: Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, that first date, that first mm-hmm. approach, we, we all put our best foot forward. So, right. you know, if you're crazy, you're not going to let the person know you're crazy. The first thing, uh, you know, right. if you're it, you're not going to show all the skeletons and the worst sides of you. So mm. could you differentiate the difference between, you know, we're trying to put our best foot forward mm. or ways in which we are just not being true to who we are? Because, you know, some people think they are showing their true selves, Right. And they're not.
9: Right. Well, the thing is, you know, it, it has to be some sort of a balance because, you know, I always say like when you're on a first date and you're first getting to know someone, you know, it's okay to let them know that, you know, you're not perfect. You know what I mean? Because they're not perfect. And what happens is is that by trying to put on this perfect front, the other person feels they have to put on this. But then if you are the one that's going to say, hey, you know, uh, you know I kind of do this, I kind of do that, or I'm kind of like this, you know, it makes them a little bit more comfortable to show their true colors because it's like, you know, people are scared to sort of be the one to, like, you know, let people know who they are. And the thing is, is that the balance is, is important because – no one is no one is perfect. So everybody has like something going on that's you know awesome about them. Certain things that's not so awesome, and it's it's okay to let those things be known so that you seem more natural, you seem more real to the person that you're dating, and then that opens them up to be more real. And then you guys actually start off you know seeing the real person and seeing the real you, and this and you're seeing the real them, so that it you know it also speeds up the process to see if you guys are even compatible with each other. Because what happens is a lot of people that get together. And then, you know, a couple months down the line, it's like they find out certain things about this person that they don't like. And, you know, it's like, well, you were hiding this from me from all this time or you were pretending to be this way and you're really that way. So it's okay to really, like, you know, put yourself out there a little bit more to let, you know, people see who you really are because it also it, – it helps them to, you know, relax and be themselves also, you know.
6: Huh. Wow. Mr. Lucario, this is Danielle, and you're dropping all kinds of nuggets of wisdom
2: already. I also have a question for you as
6: well. Uh, you were quoted saying that you became a dating expert by studying the dating game.
0: Mm. Why
6: is dating a game, and how do we singles avoid being played?
9: Well, the thing is, life in general is a game, so I think people uh, look at the, you know, the word game as something – you know uh negative or deceptive but the thing is is that you know the life is a game and you have different you know facets in the game of life so you have the dating game you have the the job game you have you can have the the parent game it's like so many different things that you need to sort of know how to maneuver and and and, and strategize to get what you want so when people even say the term having game what that means is that you have the skill and strategy to know how to get what you want so when it comes to the dating game and, and having game in the dating game, it's the skill and strategy to know how to get what you want in the dating game. You know what I mean? So when we talk about game, it's not about playing games. It's not about, you know, technically, uh, like, manipulating anyone or having to lie and do all this other stuff, but it's more so what is your skill and your strategy in order to get exactly what you want. So that's what, you know, we, we mean when we talk about, you know, game. And the thing is, as far as, like, not getting played, you know, like I was saying earlier the best way to not get played really is you know it comes from the honesty because the, you get played when you are you know being dishonest you understand what I'm saying because even if somebody tries to um you know lie to you or deceive you or, or whatever that's going to come to light at a certain point and then you'll just figure out well this is not the person that I'm going to connect with because when you're being truly yourself you're you're gonna you're you're not gonna going to be with that person anyway. Or if that person, quote, unquote, plays you, you're not gonna be that you know upset technically because you're like, well, this is not the type of person that I really needed in my life anyway. And that will be revealed as they are you know lying and playing all those like goofy games with you. You know, you know what I'm
0: saying? So it's one of yeah. those things.
6: Definitely, definitely. I I noticed you posted a YouTube video where you mm. told men. To stop listening to women about relationship advice, stop oh, trying yeah. to be a woman's friend, and also you don't have long conversations with women. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. on that for me, please? Yes.
9: Yeah, so I had I, I had a video about you know when I was telling guys to stop listening to women because mm-hmm. what I what I mean by that is, um, you know, when women are giving adv- mm-hmm. advice to men on dating, what women are giving men advice on is what women want, but they don't technically tell the guy what women respond to. So a guy might know a girl or know, have, like, a, a woman who's a friend, and he'll be asking her, like, hey, you know, what should I do on this date or what should I do to get this girl? And so what she's saying is technically what she wants, but she's not going to tell him. Um, and some women aren't even aware of this. They're not going to tell the guy is w- what's going to make the woman want to, you know, be sexual with him or what's going to make what's going to turn the woman on generally. You understand? Because women don't technically – Know what guys who know how like guys who actually know how to turn women on and and guys who are good at you know being with the women. Women don't really know what those guys are doing. The guys know what they're doing and then the women get a certain feeling. But the women don't the women have no experience being a man trying to get women in order to give that type of information. You understand what I'm saying? So it's kind of like I always use the the example of let's say for example if you get a newspaper delivered to your door, right? And someone said to you, "Hey, can you explain to me the exact process of how that paper got made and delivered to your door?" You couldn't really tell me because you don't work at the newspaper plant. You understand what I'm saying? So you don't have the knowledge to really tell, give that information. So women don't have the knowledge to tell a man how to attract women. You understand Because she's not a man attracting women. You know what I mean? So that uh, that's where that you know that comes from. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like a thing that that most people don't understand. And as far as like, you know, video I was talking about, you know, not having long conversations with women is that when a man first approaches a woman and talks to her, you know, it's best to keep it short and sweet so that he can, you know, just, just um, you know, it, it have that little introduction that, you know, he he's letting her know that he's interested and that he would like to see her at a certain point in time so that they can, you know, keep the process going. Because a lot of times when guys have long conversations, they start to get nervous. They start to say a whole bunch of, weird stuff that makes them look bad and then it kind of turns the girl off, you know, instead of having her anticipate, you know, seeing him again if if he would have kept it short. You feel what I'm saying? Mhm. Hmm.
3: Okay,
9: got
3: it. Yeah. Well, Mr. Lucario, this is Will. How are you?
9: What's going on, man?
3: Nothing much. So, okay, so I'm a, I'm a guy in my early 40s. Tell me right. how different is dating for someone in their 40s than let's say in their in their 20s?
9: Wow. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny because I actually have clients, you know, that are in their 40s. And what I notice is, you know, for a person around in their 40s, it's a little bit different because the majority of people at that age, you know, they're they're a little bit more, um, you know, they're a little bit more interested in actually having something that is more substantial. Like a lot of people in their 20s are kind of like, okay, let's just hook up. Let's just you know, I see you when I see you, and, you know, hit hit me up on Twitter or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like that fast-paced type of thing. But the thing is is that, you know, a person that's a little bit older, you know, you got a job, you got bills to pay, you might have kids, you understand, so you don't really have time to, uh, you know, go through all of that kind of craziness. So I think that, you know, the difference is is that the older older folks are a little bit more grounded in in actually looking for something a little bit more um, substantial versus the younger crowd that's just more like, okay, let's just hook up and, you know, like, do what we're going to do today and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow type of thing. You know what I'm saying? So that's sort of like the, the different type of thing that I see going on. Gotcha.
7: So, LaCario, this is Nate.
9: What's going on, man?
7: How you doing? good. So I have a question. Now, With you know, with the dating um, site and, you know, people just being too busy to hit the bars or wherever mm. you go to find a mate, but right. how do you feel about dating online versus, you know, meeting someone face-to-face?
9: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because dating online is, I I like it, I advocate it, especially if you're a person
7: who is
9: busy, because sometimes you might be too busy to always, you know, kind of go out to different bars or events or clubs or whatever like that, you know, depending on where you're trying to go. Um, so I say that, you know, for online dating, it's it's good to do. For a man, though, you know, it's a little bit harder for a man to do it because, um, you know, women women get so much, so much attention online that as a man, when you're messaging women online, she's getting like 50, 60, 70 messages a day sometimes, and she might not even see your message. You understand? So, but, it's, but it's still a helpful thing that you can have on the side, you know, as far as like something else to add to your repertoire of what you're doing with dating. But I do think that as far as meeting people in person, you know I think there's more of an of an advantage to do that generally because when you meet someone in person, you really get to see you know them in the flesh, you get to see how they look, how they talk, how they dress, how they act in front of mm-hmm. you versus just seeing like a a profile in some words because sometimes you know you see these people's pictures and they don't they don't look like how they really look in real life or they'll say they're a certain way on the profile, but then when you meet them they're not really like that, so you' know, they're not that way, so it's you know I think it's more beneficial generally. To uh, you know, meet people in person, or you know, go to like events and and bars or or parties or whatever to meet people face to face. But I still exactly. think that online has its you know benefits as far as like something else you can add to what you're already doing. Just in case you know you don't have enough time to really go out, or you know you might have those couple of weeks where you've been working all day, working all the time, and you don't really have any any time to go out. So it's good to supplement that with the online dating. You know what I mean?
3: Good advice. Yeah. Hmm.
2: I'll have to ponder that one there. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> you
2: were quoted as saying hmm. that it's your fault. Actually, you wrote a book. I titled right. that it's your fault if you're single.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so
2: for all of those that say they're tired of being cheated on, lied to, manipulated by other people, why? what is your response to why it's their fault that they're single?
9: Well, the thing is, you know, like um, that book is actually for women. It's, you know, it's called It's Your Fall, You're Single. And the reason why I say that is because it's more so about teaching women um, to take more responsibility for their dating lives. And even the reason why a lot of women are getting, um, you know, or dealing with guys who aren't really good for them or, you know, getting in those type of situations is because a lot of women haven't taken the time to really understand men you understand they haven't taken the time to understand what makes a man interested in them what makes a man want to stay what makes a man want to just have sex with them and leave you know these are things that women don't take too much time to think about you understand and the thing is it's because women have been taught generally just to be passive and expect you know their knight in shining armor just to show up and all they got to do is kind of like you know just wait for things to unfold but the thing is is that if you do a little bit work beforehand to figure out you know what men generally are about and also what you're looking for then if you have better relationships and and that's what happens a lot especially with women is that it's it's too much of being passive which makes them you know which makes a guy actually you know she gets with a guy she has no idea um, what he's up to what he's about or what he's going to do but if she understood men she would sort of see the signs like okay this guy he's, I, I can tell he's most likely going to be the type that's going to do A, B, C or I'm I'm seeing that he's displaying certain type of characteristics that I always see certain type of guys do. And and the thing is everyone's an individual, but the thing is is that the more that you date and the more that you study men, the more that you'll see these things and the the better choices that you make. The problem is is that women, there's a lot of women who are making bad choices as far as they're choosing guys. Like I was saying with the, you know, the online dating thing where they get so many, um, you know, so much attention from men. It's the same thing in the regular world where women are constantly bombarded by guys who are trying to get with them. Now, the, the problem is, is that women just have to learn how to choose better, and then they will actually have a better guy. And that's why I say it's your fault because you have the options to choose, but you're continuously choosing the wrong guys, and you're continuously choosing the wrong guys because you don't know how to differentiate the guys that's good for you versus the guys who are not good for you. You see know what I'm saying? And so okay, that's we going to break this down.
2: <laughs> I got some questions about that one. I got some sidebars. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you single?
9: Who, me? No, I'm uh, married.
2: <laughs> well, okay. Well, that's good. That's a nice start because you know the women going to ask. But number two, <laughs> you are the same gentleman that wrote the book, right. wasn't it How to Have Sex with Two uh, Women a Day?
9: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the guy's one.
2: <laughs> exactly. So taking that, that information. Uh-huh. What is it that women are commonly not taking the time to, you know, learn about these men that they they attract, but they really don't want?
9: Right. Well, the thing is, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a um, I had a friend who she was in her mid thirties, and she wanted to, you know, she was like, I want to get married, I want to have kids, and all this other stuff. And so she was, and, but she was in love with this this guy who was like, I think he was like twenty two or twenty three, and you know. They were going out for a year. And I told her, I said, listen, you know, that guy, he's most likely in, in the stage where he wants to be a player. Because usually they, usually, they call it the player stage where guys between like 18, maybe like 29, 30, they want 50. to go around and, you know, <laughs> you know those, they <laughs> want to go around and, you know, like have sex with different women and, and do all and play the field and all the other stuff. So, and so with her situation, I'm like, you know, you're choosing the wrong guy to really try to get some marriage stuff going because he's most likely not going to be that guy because he's not at that stage where he wants to do that. You see what I mean? So, and mm-hmm. in, in, you know, and certain women don't, they won't understand that. But it's like she 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 likes him and she's she's really into him, so she wants to be with him. But if, that's the thing is that if you're going to be with him, you have to understand what being with that guy or that type of guy means. You see know what I'm saying, and if
0: Blow you want something more,
6: you gotta have, you gotta go somewhere else and get it. That's really what it is, you know. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sitting here <laughs> like, oh my, oh my. I have yes. a question for you as well, in reference to what you were just talking about. you yeah. know, you, you gave a lot of examples why women maybe attract the wrong type of man. What would you say to a woman who's interested in finding someone they can have a true connection with? What kind of advice would you give a woman to make sure that she's picking that person who is compatible?
9: Yes. Mm. Well, I, I think the first the first thing that I, I think most women uh, should understand is that in order to really get a guy who you're compatible with and a guy who uh, is going to connect with you is that first you have to understand what you want Fully first, And I think a lot of women don't know what they want, and it's kind of like it's going to be damn near impossible for you to get that if you don't know what you want, because when these guys come around, then, you know, since you don't know what you want, they're going to be confused, and that confusion is going to turn them off and kind of, like, send them on their way. They're just going to be like, okay, this girl... He doesn't know what you want. So let's say, for example, if you actually do know what you want and you you know what you're about and what you're looking for, then it's easier for you to narrow that down. And then also, then so then when a guy who wants the same thing you want sees you and y'all get together, then that's when stuff can build. So for example, like that my um my friend that I was talking about another example where she wanted you know marriage and kids you know, she she needs to say, okay, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for, and now that she's sure this is what she wants or what she's looking for, then when she's out there dating and talking to different guys, guys will will tell you either through their words or their actions what they're, you know, what they're about at the time. So if she meets a guy and he's like, look, I'm just trying to hook up, I'm just trying to chill, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm just trying to hang out, Maybe that might not be the guy you want to actually be serious with. Like, you know, if you want to just chill with him one day or two days, that's cool. But you don't you don't want to try to turn that guy into the guy you want to marry or the guy you want to have kids with because he's not there. But if you meet a guy and he's like, you know, I'm you know I've been around, I'm, I'm you know I'm actually looking for somebody I want to be with. Because the thing is, I think a lot of women might not, you know, from what the stories they hear, they don't think there's guys out there who actually want, uh, you know, a girlfriend and want a wife. Like every guy's not out here trying to be a player. You understand? So you can find those guys who, if, if that's what you want, you can find that same guy who wants the same thing as you. But again, like I said, if you have to figure out what you want first, so that it will be easier for you to attract that guy that wants the same thing that you want. You see, so it starts from you first, which is why, you, again, why I call it "it's your fault you're single" because it starts from you first. So once the reason why you know most women probably are not getting that is because they don't know what they want, and then if you don't know what you want, you're not going to be able to attract. You see what I mean? So it's that type of thing.
2: But Mr. Lucario, they lie. They yeah. lie. Oh no, of course. Yeah, a lot of guys lie.
9: Yeah, they do. They do. So you don't always do. know
2: between the truth and the lie. But this is
9: but this is and this is where the game comes in, you understand? Because this is where this is where the, the skill and the strategy comes in because a lot of times if you actually communicate with a man, like, you know, you verbally communicate with him asking certain questions and see and, and, and figure out what he's about, you will figure out what he's about. You'll see what he's talking about. You'll see where he's coming from. I think the, the problem is is that a lot of women take men um at face value. They think, okay, a guy will say, hey, you know, baby, I you know, I really like you and I just want to be with you and do this and do that, and then she she finds out two weeks later he's married or something. You know what I mean? Like he has a girl on the side or whatever, and it's because they would, they've just been taking the guy at face value. So the thing is, you have to actually ask him questions. You have to, you know, talk to him. You have to see how he responds to certain things, and then you will figure out who that guy really is. Also, also too, uh, I think a lot of women don't realize is that how how important um, sexuality is in the in the equation. Meaning that a lot of times the reason why you get so many guys who lie is because they're lying just to to to, to try to get to the sex, So a lot of guys will say, I will do and say anything. This is what their mind state is saying. I will do and say anything to get this girl comfortable with me in order to get sex. So they do all these things to, to, to get the sex. And then once they have the sex, that's when you sort of see the real person. That's when the real guy comes the real, you know, who he is comes mm-hmm. out
0: sometimes mm-hmm. because
9: he's trying to, you know, so, so, you know, I, I always tell women that, you know, it's beneficial to not saying you have to just have sex with a dude, like that you just you know met or whatever. But what I mean is, is that you should be only dating guys who you have some sexual chemistry with, and also you know bringing that sexual energy there so that once that that uh you know that you guys have sex or whatever and that's like done and out the way, then you can actually see who this guy really is. So that's another thing you can do. You know what I mean? So it's like there's certain different like types of techniques that you can do to sort of figure out the guy, and and also that comes along with understanding men. And like I was saying before. Figuring out what guys are generally about, and that's the thing that helps you in the long run to actually figure out which guy is best for you. If you can tell if a guy's lying, if he's playing around. Like actually, uh, you know, um, I had a um, a client who was with this guy. She was she had a suspicion that he was married, right? Mm. So I told her, I said, you know, go. I said when you see him next time, all you do is this. You say, hey, listen. Um, I want to know if you have a girl, if you're married, and, and it's okay if you do. I just want to know. You understand? So she says that to him, and he admits that he has a wife. You understand? So now what? she knows the truth. <laughs> so now she knew the truth, but she didn't stay with him. But it, it, it she did that in order to get the truth out. You understand what I'm saying? So this is what I'm saying about Lo communication.
0: Mercy. <laughs>
9: so, so there's different ways to, to figure out what's going on. You see what I mean? And a lot of times guys lie. Because they don't feel like they're in a safe space to be honest with you, you understand what I'm saying? They don't feel like they're in a safe space to say, "Hey, look, I'm digging you. I got a girl, but I'm digging you" because they feel like you're not going to go for that or whatever. And some women might not, but a lot of times guys will lie because you know of those things. So if you kind of have that communication and you talk to him and you see what's going on, then you can figure out if the guy's lying instead of wasting time with mm-hmm. a guy who might be, you know, lying to you all day. You know what I'm saying? So
3: mm-hmm. that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I, I I listen to everything you just said. A lot of it I agree with. I'm there with you. Mm-hmm. I just yes. I want to get you. I have a two part question. Okay, uh, so let's say you you meet somebody. Let's say at work or you know it's a uh, blind date or whatever. You know you're going out. The vibe is right. You know you think you're feeling each other. And It's possibly something you want to look into. Is it ever okay for you to go ahead and have sex on their first date?
9: Oh, of course, of course. I'm, 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 that, that's, that's, you know, if you, if you guys are feeling it, it should, it should happen. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people look at it as, you know, there has to be a time frame and, you know, I can't do it. Like it's all that, all those rules is out the window because you, you're both grown people. If you're feeling that, you can, you can make that happen. You understand? So I think that, I think actually not having sex, if you act as both of you wanted to do that, you know, is a bad thing because now you're being, you're not being, um, you're not living in your honesty. You're not being authentic, and that's and that's really the 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 crux of everything. It's like, what do you really want at all times? What are you really about? What's really going on? Because a lot of times, again, the reason why we have such bad relationships is because most of us are doing things that we think we should do versus doing things that we actually want to do based off of who we really are. You understand? So that's what it that's what it's really about. Got
3: you. So,
7: Mister Lacaria, if you're the type of person. That don't do well with things or do well in relationships, what is your best advice for that person that's listening
9: um well i mean i think I think that you know someone not doing well in relationships is just really a reflection of of them not you know doing well with them within themselves generally because the relationships that you have with people you know, is a reflection of of the relationships you have with yourself or the relationship you have with yourself, how you feel about yourself, how you – because, for example, if someone is very um, insecure, you know, if somebody, um, you know, doesn't like themselves or they, they, you know, they think they're not, you know, they're just not a good person or, you know, no one will ever love me and all this other stuff, right? What's going to happen yeah. is, is they're going to meet somebody who might like them, you know, at first, but then that insecurity and all those things that they believe about themselves – is going to come out, and then what's going to happen is, is that they're not going to be able to have a relationship with that person just based off, the, off of the fact that they don't even feel like they're worthy of being in a relationship with that person. You understand? So sometimes
0: exactly. the reason
9: why people are not having good relationships is because they don't feel good themselves. That's really, like, because the thing is, is that if you if you feel good about yourself, what's going to happen is, is that you're going to attract somebody who's feeling, who's feeling you and who likes you for who you are. And then that relationship will flourish or will flow. You know what I mean? So it's really about, you know, how you feel about yourself. Okay.
0: Mm, mm, mm.
2: (laughs) I'm trying to process all this good information. All right, all right, all right. I do believe in the laws of attraction. Mm. I also believe there's just a lot of, um, that's how I'm going to put it, a lot of counterfeit people. Um. That's lies. They they lying, mm. and a uh, lot of them present one thing. But the truth is, some people, and a lot of times, I think they're not aware of it. You right. are not emotionally ready for a relationship. Yes. Yeah, Whether you're lying. looking for somebody to complete you, and that's not their job. That's something you need help mm. in other areas to to you know fix. You know, I think people go into things want one thing. And yeah, so so here's my question after I said all of that. What are the common dating mistakes that we're making? And I know just from what you've shared so far, there's differences in the mistakes between men, what they make, and differences in the mistakes that women are making. So uh, could you reiterate or just highlight maybe the top, you know, common things from your experience that each gender is making a mistake when it comes to dating?
9: Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll start with the guys. Like um, I think uh, one mistake that a lot of guys make um, generally just, you know, overall when it comes to dating and, and uh, me and women and everything like that is a lot of guys first, they, they, they're looking for validation through uh, the women that they're approaching. So a lot of guys are trying to you know, feed their ego with how many girls like them, how many numbers they can get, how many dates they can go on, how much sex they can have. And I think that, you know, that kind of hurts the process of actually, you know, enjoying yourself and getting to know somebody. You know what I mean? And another thing too that, you know, another thing too that guys, you know, make mistakes on is that when they actually um, get with a woman that they're really into um, and, you know, they're first starting dating is that guys contact or, you know, give the woman way too much attention too soon. And what that does is that a lot of times that, that that can actually turn the woman off because it's showing that, you know, he might have a little bit of a needy energy going on or he's showing that he has nothing else to do but call her and text her all day. So that kind of turns the woman off. But he thinks that, you know, okay, I got to, you know, talk to her and get to know her and do all these other different things because he doesn't really know the the, the way that, you know, the psychology of it when it comes to women and everything like that. You know what I mean? So, like, guys make that mistake a lot of times. And also, you know, um, being too, being um, way too nice, you know, that's the thing you always hear, nice, guys finish last. And it's oh. not, and the thing is I always tell about that whole situation. It's not about, you know, because guys will think, they'll say, well, you know, I am a nice guy, I'm a nice person. It's not really about that. What it means is that I actually have it in my book. Um, I have a book called The Magnificent Ten Cruises Dating Tips for Men, and I have a chapter on there. And it's called, it says, uh, you're not a nice guy, so don't act like one. And what that means is, is that no guy is actually a nice guy. You're just, you know, you're just you. You're just yourself. So you're not all the time going to be agreeing with everything a woman is saying. You're not going to always be this super, quote, unquote, nice guy. It's just an act that guys put on to try to impress women or try to, you know, uh, stand out or whatever. But all I say is just be yourself. And I think the mistake that most guys make is they're trying to be too accommodating, trying to impress the girl too much, instead of just relaxing, being themselves and being who they are and, and having the woman see them for them and then, choose, then having her choose based off of that. You see what I mean? And um, I, and I say for women, some of the mistakes that women make is um, sort of wasting – a man's time. <laughs> and I'll explain this. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. so, so, I
0: like that. that will. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 you
9: know. Starting to feel uh, beat it, up on. Right, right. So, the thing is, the thing is, and the reason why this happens, so what, what that means is when a woman wastes a man's time, that means, yeah. it, this is what I was saying earlier, where a woman doesn't really know what she wants. So, you might have a guy exactly. who's really into you, who's really feeling you. And because you're not really sure about what you what you really want in in any of those situations, be it just you know hanging out with him, getting to know him, having sex, or whatever it is, the guy sort of he looks at you and says, "Well, you know, she's cool, but she seems like she's all over the place. So I can't see her anymore. She's wasting too much of my time. I don't know where what you know. I don't know how she's going to feel this way or that way." And he he already knows he's, he's into you, but the way that you're acting, he's not sure if you're into him. And that and and that. To him is like a, a waste of time. You understand because he's looking. If he's actually looking for something to go down, or he's looking for something to progress, and you're just all over the place, he's not going to be feeling it. And he might move. He might move on. Um, Can you
2: point what you mean by all over the place, please? <laughs>
9: like, okay,
2: I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example that happened yes. to me actually.
9: Um. I remember I was I was dating this girl one time, and you know we you know we were hanging out. Everything was cool. We were having a good time, and so. We were, you know, we were kissing and getting all touchy-feely and everything. And so she was like, hey, you know, I want you to come back to my place or whatever, right? So I was like, all right, cool. But she lived all the way, like, out in Westchester or something. So I was like, all right. So I went to her place, and then we get to the place, and we're, you know, about to do some stuff. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I don't think we should do it and this and this and that, right? So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I came all the way out here, thinking we're going to do something, and now you're flipping it on me, Right. And then what happened was, you know, then you know um, later on, like an hour later, we were, I was still at her house, and then she was like, "Oh, you know, let's 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 just do it." And then we, you know, we kissed huh? again. We were about to do it, and then she changes her mind again. You understand? Know, so it's like different things like that, and a lot of women do that type of stuff. You know what I mean? So she she wasn't really sure or too sure or too comfortable to actually do it. Like it was like she wanted to, but she wasn't too sure. She wanted to make it happen, but she was too scared. So that. Again, is her not understanding what she wants and what she really wants, and then now that's wasting my time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then yeah. I never called her again. <laughs> so well. that's what I mean. That's what I mean. My woman needs to really know what she wants and what she's about because that right there, you you could be losing or you could have lost a guy that could have been a good guy for you because you didn't know what you wanted. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's that right there. You know, messes a lot of things up. So.
0: Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> you gotta mm. gotta be careful mm. about that.
9: <laughs> you know, exactly. That, In that today, right
0: there is a, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like, oh
6: my god, what kind of female are you talking about? I don't know, like that. So yeah,
0: hopefully, a lot. Hopefully. A, hopefully. A
6: lot. You'd, you'd be surprised. Wow. I'd <laughs> be surprised. I've never been in today's society, there are coaches for
9: everything.
6: Can you explain to our listeners why it's important to have a dating
9: coach? Um, well, the thing is, you know, it's, it's what's important about it is that you can get um, a lot of information and learn a lot of things that probably would have taken you a lifetime to figure out. You understand? Or, you know, you can – because mm-hmm. a lot of times the coaches, coaches are people who, you know, studied the topic who – been been there, done that. They've made all the mistakes that they don't want you to have to make. You know what I mean. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like that thing where you get like a cheat sheet or a guide to figure out. Okay, you know what do I need to you know um, know and what do I need to understand to actually you know get the best results in the best you know situations for myself. And the thing is that a coach can lead you in the right direction to uh, you know to help you get what you want easier and faster. You know what I mean. So that's that's mm-hmm. like the benefits of actually you know, having a coach, and even just in any in any field, like, you know, you can have a coach that as far as, like, you know, people do uh, personal training, for example, in the gym, you know, there's certain things that people don't know about fitness and working out that that personal trainer knows that can help you actually get into shape faster than if you would have just done it yourself. You see what I mean? So
7: yes. that's, like,
9: the important part about it, you know.
7: So how yeah. can our listeners find out more about you and keep in contact with you? um yeah they can actually go to my uh website mrlocario.com. dot com that's m r l o c
9: a r i o dot com or you can email me at askmrlocario, that's ask that's a s k mrlocario at gmail dot com and also if you go to my uh website you can for, it's for, for the guys, you can download my free ebook, the Magnificent Ten Crucial Dating Tips for Men. And for the ladies, I have a free audio program called Seven Highly Effective Steps to Finding and Keeping a Man. So you can go mm-hmm. to MrLocario.com dot com right nice. now and get that uh, for free today. <laughs> Check that mm-hmm. out. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Wow, that's good. Yeah.
7: Make sure yeah. you get that. Yeah.
9: It. It's real good. Yeah, make sure you get that. It. It's good. Yeah, and I also have a, also have a membership program for men and women um, on my site too, where I do. 45 through 90-minute um, audio and video dating tutorials every month. So you get, like, a oh. new dating and relationship advice tutorial every month if you join the membership. So you can get that at oh, wow. com, Or for the guys, you can go to uh, BadBoyMembership.com to get that also.
7: Yeah. Oh. Like that. <laughs> well, Mr. Licario, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. We really appreciate all of the yes. wealth of knowledge that you've given us. Hopefully we all can enhance our relationships. Halloween. Uh, <laughs> <I mean, laughs>
9: thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. I I definitely appreciate you guys having me. Um, yeah, I'll definitely come on again if you want me. Let me know. I'm around. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, thank right, you so
3: much. Take care. Thank you. All right. How we doing? Awesome. Good show. Yes. Yeah. A lot of good information. I heard you and Daniel, y'all are a mess. Did y'all so get any AHA tips or anything like that?
2: Yeah, my AHA tip. I want to know what you mean about women wasting y'all time.
3: Hey.
2: You're very vocal about that.
3: That's a whole oh, okay. nother show.
2: All right, then. All right.
3: We'll discuss the that later. Sidebar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: sidebar.
6: Uh-huh. I still don't know any of those women, so I'm sorry. I, I, I can't help them. You don't.
0: Uh uh. Uh
2: uh.
0: Uh uh.
3: Okay.
2: I know that's right, there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible.
3: Well, coming up next week, we have we actually have a, a quite a busy show.
1: Um, we have Margaret
3: Placentra Johnson. She um, wrote a book called Faith Beyond Belief. Which is um, stories of good people who left the church behind. So she's going to be here to talk about her experiences and give insight on why people are leaving the church. And with that in mind, um, statistics that are published by I think Pew Research in May 12, 2015, shows that more than two out of every five Americans—that's 25.8 um, percent—people are unaffiliated with church or religion, and that that number is um, rising. So um, coming to Table Talk, we have John Pavlovitz, which is a Christian blogger and a minister from Wake Forest, North Carolina. He wrote an entry in his blog, um, which is named um, Stuff That Needs To Be Said. The name of the entry was Dear Church, Here's Why People Are Leaving You. And it's a provocative but brutally honest look at some of the reasons that people are giving for why they're leaving the whole institution of church altogether. So next week, I'm going to bring that to the table, you know, the host and myself. We're going to talk about some of these reasons. Um, And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, I'm not currently affiliated with any church, really don't plan on doing so anytime soon. And there are a lot of reasons that he shared in the letter. Um, And we'll we'll talk about that next week. Also, Danielle, she has, um, Danielle, give us a little rundown. You have someone coming on the show to talk about an important event that's coming up.
6: Yes, Miss Deborah Parks is gonna come share a business opportunity. It's a networking event that she's gonna have at the Jazz Legacy Foundation. So I'll okay. give you a little bit more information about that next week.
3: Next week. Awesome. 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 Thank you. And then um a couple of weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago, I had the pleasure of meeting um a young guy. He um We got into a conversation, and his story, I almost, you know, it doesn't take much for me to get in tears anyway, but his story really touched me. Um, At the age of 20, um, he lost his father. Well, he lost his mother first. And then a few weeks after that, he was diagnosed with HIV. And then two weeks after that, his father committed suicide, and it was rumored that it was a murder. And then I believe uh, a few weeks after that, the only person who was his sole supporter, his um. His caretaker or in caregiver was his grandmother. She passed away. So here's this young guy, 21 years old, on the streets by himself. Um, there was discord in the family. And he managed wow. to not, you know, most people would crumble. They would end to, you know, end up in, on drugs or something like that. But um, what he did was he put himself through school, undergraduate. He got his undergraduate degree, and now he's putting himself through graduate school. And he didn't stop there. He's working several jobs. Um, He didn't want to stay in the project, so he has himself a a, a nice apartment, and he's making things work for himself. Um, And he's going to come on the show the next week to talk about, you know, how it is, how did he get through it, where he got his strength from. Um, And he's only 24 right now, and he's been through all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, he's not upset. He's not bitter. He's very encouraging. And he's going to come on the show, and he's going to sit down and talk with me about where he's getting his strength um, to not only thrive, but, yeah, to to really – Survive in this world, and um, he has a, he has a message for a lot of people who've gone through um, turmoil in their lives and heartbreak. So that's going to come up next week. Um, any closing words from you all? Yeah, he's he, he's phenomenal, phenomenal. Any yeah, words? Yeah, I got closing words. If well, you female,
2: based on this information we heard on the show today, Jesus. I'm going to need you to call the SPCA and put your order in for a minimum of five cats. By the year that you turn 50, then call Shady Pines and put your reservation in for one single room by the time you turn 50. That's all. Just have backup.
3: Okay. Anybody else want to say anything other than Alicia? <laughs> Mr. Nathaniel, you're quiet.
2: Oh, no, he didn't call him out.
3: Yeah, I called him out. He's awfully quiet. Well, he's still quiet.
7: <laughs>
2: I am currently
7: doing a drug test. So I, talk.
6: Okay. Right. I can't. I can't. TMI, oh, my God.
3: Yeah. Well,
0: Ooh, Okay. Once,
3: once again, thank you all for joining us here, um, tuning in. Make sure that you definitely tune in next week and then going into November. We have a lot of things in store for you. So thanks again for tuning in. And we'll see you next week
0: We hope you've enjoyed This episode of Let's Face It With Will Strayhorn and friends We ask that you visit www.lettsfaceitradio.com
4: For up to date information On future shows Special guests Advertising opportunities And exciting interactive ways That you can be a part of the show Join us next
6: week Same time, same place, for real people, real
0: topics, real talk, let's face it.